It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I've been reading a lot of articles lately, Whitney, and seeing a lot of social media posts about the reversal of some interesting trends that happened in, I suppose, I don't even know if I want to say the peak of the pandemic, because we have no idea at the time of this recording how long this is going to last. It's certainly not over. I feel like any kind of terminology around you know post-pandemic world is fallacious at this point. So I guess let's just say over the first 15 months of the pandemic, in addition to things like baking and sourdough making and people homesteading and pickling and gardening, there were two trends that really exploded that I'm seeing a lot of interesting coverage that people are now doing the opposite of them. One of those things was the explosion in animal adoptions as people were on lockdown in their homes, as certainly a lot of people I know, it might be the case with you too, Whitney, and and to you, dear listener, people being given the opportunity to work from home and not go into an office and not make that commute every day. And I think as a result of not only the lockdown, and whatever was happening in our different cities or municipalities combined with working from home, combined with loneliness and not seeing our loved ones, there was an absolute explosion in animal adoptions over the first 15 months of the pandemic. The sad thing is we are now seeing masses of people, thousands of people returning, not just returning those animals. They're not, they're not returning them to the adoption facilities. They're, they're taking them to shelters. And as Obviously, someone who is an animal lover, who's vegan, who has five companion animals of my own, it breaks my heart. You know, when I saw one of those articles a couple of weeks ago, I just, I, I literally just started crying because these poor animals that, you know, were given these homes and, and hopefully given love and companionship. And now you didn't really get into the psychological factors of it, but I think, you know, people are going back to work now and, and quarantine restrictions are being lifted and they're seeing their friends and, it makes me angry. It makes me lose faith in humanity. It pisses me off. It engenders a lot of emotions in me, but it mostly hurts my heart for the animals, you know, to have been adopted. And then, you know, a year to a year and a half later, just being taken to a shelter and dumped. It's happening here in Los Angeles and Southern California. It's happening all over the country. I don't, I don't know about internationally. It was really focused on the United States, but that's one of the things I want to get into today, the ethics and the dynamics of that. The second thing, which is something that I had also seen articles about, as you know, Wit, and maybe the listeners know, I'm a huge car fanatic. I love the auto industry. It's something I read blogs about all the time, what's happening. And again, over the course of the beginning of the pandemic, there was an explosion in people either selling their houses, renting out their houses, and completely going into van life, right? People joke about hashtag van life, but it's really interesting to see what people have done to the Dodge Sprinter vans, the Mercedes vans, the Ford Transit vans. I was talking to our mutual friend Ross about how many people he's seen with uh, Ford. He works for Ford Motor Company taking their high top transit vans and outfitting it with sinks and bathrooms and indoor showers or outdoor showers. And well, now, much like 
the reversal of animal adoptions and people dumping their animals at shelters, we're seeing people realizing that this whole van life thing that seems so glamorous on Instagram and social media is not really what they thought it was cracked up to be. So we're seeing actually, and I went on Auto Trader, I went on Craigslist to check this out myself, and there's a lot of custom conversion vans. Not the conversion vans like from the 80s, like from our childhood, Whitney, you know, not, not the kind with like the screens and the seats. The kind of conversion vans I'm talking are about people living in their vans, shelving units, water filters, cooktops, things like that. So it's interesting. I think a lot of people, you know, saw that as an opportunity to probably A, be safer, right? Get out of the COVID hotspots and go into nature and travel and be free from that. But a lot of people I was reading are realizing that it's it's not what they thought it was. So, you know, here we are 12, 15 months later, they spent all this money buying these custom vans, which can, by the way, easily go for over $100,000. Easily. Like this is not an inexpensive venture to get a brand new custom van. We actually have also another mutual friend named Justin, we won't share his last name, who is in the process right now of converting an old Sprinter van, right? And I actually got to see it a few months ago. So this is a thing, okay? Van life is a thing. Just look up the hashtag, it's crazy. But it's interesting, in both cases, Wit, people thought it was going to be one thing. Then they get into it, and they're like, oh shit, this isn't what I wanted. Now, of course, I'm not trying to compare the ethics of a sentient life that thinks and feels like an animal, companion animal versus a van. But it is interesting how people, I think, made a lot of very rash decisions, a lot of emotionally fear-driven decisions out of either loneliness or fear, and then realized, oh, I didn't really want this. It's just fascinating to observe. I will link to some articles about this in our show notes at wellevator.com. If you haven't been to our website, it's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We have show notes and transcripts for every episode if you want to check out any links or references or resources that we mentioned in this episode or all of our episodes. So with that, Wit, I want to pass the baton to you. However, you want to respond to either the sort of animal side of things and what you think is driving people, because it infuriates the shit out of me to see people doing this. But then also, you know, you love road trips. You've talked ad nauseum here about, you know, your love of packing up the car and, and going on a road trip. And now that's not the same as living out of your car. But I'm curious how both of these things hit you as we're seeing this massive downturn of this wave and things going in the opposite direction. Well, first of all, I haven't found the data to back up your point. So I would like to see some data because when I looked up the term van life and then looked at the news on the Google side, in the past year, there I couldn't find a single article of like coverage on these changes that you're referring to, Jason. So maybe I'm just typing in the wrong term, but most of them are just covering people that have made these changes. And it's interesting to me because I think a lot of people are hesitant to talk about the drawbacks to a big decision they've made. I think about this when it comes like having children. It's a huge life change. It's a big decision. But how many people will admit that they wish they hadn't had kids or how many people will say it's really hard and I can't go back. There's, there's no turning back. Right. And van life of course is very different. I'm not trying to say they're the same, but it's, it makes me think of things like that. Same with having an animal. Right. I remember when I got my dog Evie, I had a mini panic attack when I realized how much responsibility it was. 
I spent all this time planning for her. I was so excited. I had grown up with dogs, but I'd never had an animal entirely on my own ever. I don't think. I think I've always, previous to Evie, shared them with my parents or a boyfriend or a roommate or someone that I, you know, was with. But at the time I got Evie, I think I might have been single. I don't remember having a serious boyfriend at that time. And I definitely was living by myself. And I just felt so overwhelmed. And it was this thought of like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. And it didn't hit me until it happened. And I've often wondered if that's what parenthood is like for a lot of people. And then in some ways, there are smaller things in life that are more reversible (laughs) or reversible period, I guess. You know, van life is something that you could decide not to do. But to your point, Jason, the cost and time involved is so much that I'm sure people think, well, I've put this much time and and money into it. Like, I should probably do this for a while to make it worth it. And how many people can admit that they, quote, made a mistake or changed their minds when they're that far into it? I do want to say that statistically, I'm not sure that they cost 100000 or more, as you said too, Jason. I, I would want to look at the data because I see so many people on platforms like TikTok talking about how they're doing it for really inexpensive because you can get a lot of used vehicles, attachments to your vehicles, like the campers. Like There's a lot of ways to do it for less money, but you might just have to spend a lot of time hands-on building things and changing things and revamping it. And I don't know the cost, but I think that it can be done more affordably. And that's part of the big draw, especially when you add it up. I have trouble when I add up how much I spend on rent. Sometimes I'm like, wow, you know, like I don't really in this moment want to calculate how much I've spent on rent in my lifetime as a renter because it's a lot of money. But granted, renting at most places, the advantages that you can leave and change your mind whenever you want. You don't have to spend money on on all the costs involved in owning a home or a piece of property. So there are pros and cons to both. Now, in terms of van life, getting specific back to that, Jason, yes, like I've had a taste of it, given that I've spent some time doing road trips and camping out of my car. And it opened my eyes up to a whole new world. Car camping is different from van life because there's a complete difference in what you're able to do in a car versus a van. I've seen people in all different types of vehicles, though, like big and small cars and big and small vans and RVs and buses. And I'm fascinated. And, And to your point, Jason, a lot of it has been glamorized. A lot of people on social media covering either the build process, which is kind of interesting, and or what it's like to live in it from a perk side of like, ooh, look at where I get to park and, you know, I get to go anywhere I want and look how fun it is. And my overall impression of that lifestyle is positive. And every once in a while, you'll, you'll see somebody admitting the challenges and talking about it, but it's actually pretty rare. And my experience has been fun. And again, to your point, though, I have not spent that much time in my car, sleeping in my car. It's not a permanent or a long-term decision. It's like a vacation type of experience for me. But it did give me some perspective. I would say 
it changes the way that you think about your how you live from day to day. There's a lot of things to consider. There's a massive difference between me now in July 2021 versus August 2020 when I decided to do my cross-country road trip last year in that I didn't really know what I was doing and I didn't have a lot of time because my friend Leanne, we did a whole, several episodes on this, one with Leanne, which we'll link to at wellevator.com. And you can hear us talking about our experiences, the good and the challenging. So we'll, we'll link to that, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. It was an episode that came out last like September or October 2020. And Leanne and I made a fairly last minute decision to drive cross country. I'd been considering it, but I wasn't preparing whatsoever. And, you know, there just wasn't a lot. It was like, okay, we're just going to go do it. And I'm amazed at how we were able to accomplish all of that in such a short amount of time planning. Since then, I've spent a lot of time thinking about my next trip, which I'm planning to do in about a month from now. And I'll be sharing in the podcast in the next few months as I go through that process. I've started doing a deeper dive, Jason. And I've, I've actually been very fascinated by people that live in their cars and all of the things that they do and the changes and the decisions, especially women and, and women traveling by themselves. And like, I'm so fascinated by all of that. And overall, it seems like they're happy. But again, like, are they really or are they just presenting that way? on social media. And I wonder, is that damaging? Because how many people see someone like looking so free and having so much fun and having such little expense, does that influence others to do it too, that it might not be a good fit for? And I think that's an important part of this conversation is like with anything in life, whether it's adopting an animal, having a child, choosing to live a radical lifestyle. I mean, we could say the same thing about tiny house living, which we talked about in another episode with Adam, which we will link to. That was a fairly recent episode. Adam talked about the challenges of tiny house living or a little bit on the RV living. We also had another guest. We've had a few conversations around this. Someone who, what was her name? Was it Christine? I feel like I'm botching. I know her name started with a C. I feel like it was Christine, right? Christine Roberts. Yes. Thank you. Got it. So Christine Roberts is another episode to listen to. Mainly she talked about, I think, just vacations. Or no, do they live out of their RV, Jason? I don't remember off the top of my head. I think she said they they did it for like several months at a time or something. No, I thought she said that they sold their house, did the massive traveling thing, and then came back and then bought a new house after they were done, as far as I remember the story going. So they actually went the step of literally selling their house, committing fully to mobile living and then being like, okay, this isn't what we wanted anymore. And then reinvested in a new property. And that's a cool example because it shows that you can change your mind. But then again, what you can do is very relative. And right now we're in a very interesting time with real estate because it's incredibly competitive. I was just talking to someone the other day. I can't remember if she said she bought or not. But I think it was a purchased home and just the stress and the competition to get a place to live, whether you're renting or buying is like, I don't know if it's an all time high, but it it feels that way to me. Like, I don't recall in the past it being that competitive to live somewhere. 
And so that's raising the prices. And now people might be spending more than they really need to or want to. So the challenge is if you decided just temporarily to live out of your car, an RV, a van, whatever it is, it's not super simple to, to quote, turn back because things could change drastically. And you know this too, Jason, like I've noticed over the years, you've moved a lot more than I have. I've had the same place for many years. You, every time you moved, it seemed like the prices went way up. So you're like, you're often thinking about what it was like to move in the past, but we need to wake up to like what it's like to move in the present. And that probably doesn't line up from our past experiences. Would you say? I mean, no, because we are right now at the time of this recording in June 2021, late June, in a massive inflationary bubble. Everything is more expensive. Lumber is more expensive, which is affecting the price of houses and affecting the ability for home builders and what they're able to charge. Gas is more expensive. Clothing is more expensive. Food is more expensive. The car market and the housing market right now are fucking batshit crazy. Like talking to people trying to buy a car or a house right now, to your point, Whitney, it sounds like a bloodbath. It sounds insane. So to your point, how long will this inflationary bubble last? No one really knows. I mean, again, I see articles from Reuters and Forbes about them trying to forecast how long the bubble is going to last. But, you know, my personal philosophy at this moment is like, I don't want to buy a new car and I don't want to buy a new house right now because it's so brutally expensive to do so, and it's so competitive to do so. So yeah, I'm waiting it out, even though I'm ready to move out of Los Angeles. I don't know where I'm going to move to because I've looked at prices of houses in different markets with, and I mean, even back home in Detroit, right? Just for, for shits and giggles, I was like, what's, what are things going back you know, for in Detroit? And you know, back in the day in Detroit, if you spent, and this is going to sound funny to any Californians or any West Coasters, like, you know, you could spend 350k on a house back in the day like maybe even just 10 years ago in Detroit right and you would get something pretty palatial for 350 depending on the neighborhood right 350 gets you a lot of house in the metro detroit area now what's going for 350 it's like a basic you know two bed two bath you know brick and mortar i mean it's not it's nothing special so you know the whole country seems to be affected the whole you know i don't know about the world i don't know what real estate is going on internationally but to your point whitney moving right now is a very very tricky proposition unless you have massive amounts of cash reserves then you know not a big deal but i wanted to comment also when you were looking for some articles on not only the van life thing, but the shelter dog. So I wanted to clarify when I was talking about shelters, the article I saw was from Reuters. We'll link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com, talking about specifically California, the massive rate of dogs being returned to shelters. So I apologize. I didn't mean mean to make it sound like it was a, a national thing because the only article I was able to find on that was a article about California and the rate of dogs being returned to shelters here. The other thing too... When you're talking about prices of of converting vans and converting things to, you know, hashtag van life. Yeah, for sure. Like our friend Justin is doing it totally DIY, right? He's doing it on the cheap. He bought a used van that I think is four or five years old, saved a lot of money there. And he's doing it all by hand, right? He's doing it himself. But on the other end of that spectrum, right? If we're going to go to the, the complete opposite pole, Airstream announced in June of this year, they're... Interstate 24X fully loaded adventure van. And we'll link to this. The images of this van are like 
rock and roll tour bus. It's uh, when you click on and you see the inside of this van, it's unbelievable. Price tag, ready for this? A van now, a Mercedes Sprinter van customized by Airstream, right? They deliver it to you, it's fully ready to go. It starts at $213,000. $213,000. That's the spectrum. If you're going to live in it though, to your point, if you can't find a great house for under $3,000 anymore, but you can find a great van, like a specked out like luxury experience, maybe to some people they're like, well, as long as I live in this for long enough, it's going to be worth it. And if I can still sell it and make it worth it, then maybe it's great. Yeah. I personally want to try out one of these vans and be in it just to see you know, what a $213,000 van gets you because it sounds totally badass. I mean, it's got an air suspension, four wheel drive, onboard generator, 5G wireless connectivity, solar panels. These cockpit seats look unbelievable, right? So it's got a 13,500 B2 air conditioner. Oh my God. Like if you look at the pictures as people sleeping in the back, it's got a standing desk. Like I said, it's got a 5G cellular antenna. It's it's completely configurable. It's got tons of overhead storage. It's got an indoor bathroom. It's got a galley kitchen with a sink, a two-burner stovetop, small microwave, meal prepping counter space. I mean, it really is like, wow. It really is like a house on wheels. If you click on this, Whitney, it's pretty... To your point, it is a house on wheels. Like it's a tiny house on wheels is what it is. So I, I get the price tag. I'm just saying like that that's the nth degree, right? You can either DIY, get a used van, build it yourself, or you can just pay, pay Airstream, you know, 200 grand and get something that's just macked out. The other thing too, is you were, you were asking about articles talking about van lifers kind of, you know, exiting their van life ways. And I found an article on jalopnik.com, which is one of my favorite auto websites, talking about people selling... Well, before you get to that, I wanted to comment on (laughs) the other thing that I saw recently that I almost sent to you, Jason, Uh but I was like, oh, he probably doesn't really care about this. But now that I'm going to bring it up, it's neat. I I saw a a TikTok about a family that rents for vacation houseboats. And it was in like, was one of the states with an M. It was not Michigan. It might have been Minnesota. (laughs) But they went and there's a cool company where you can rent these like not luxurious, but like nice houseboats and they teach you how to drive them. Everything's included in the price and you can go on like a 10 day vacation with your family. They they can accommodate like 10 people in their beds and you just kind of drive it around and like park it in specific areas like on the lake. And so you could just like pull up to a little beach, be completely on your own with your family and like hang out. And I think there was like slides and, you know, all these fun things on them. And it just like looks so fun. (laughs) And houseboats are another thing I occasionally see. I don't know if it was in the U S or it was in a different country, but like there were some videos about people that like live in the canals and like, all the rules about where you're allowed to go and how long and like how you actually have to go do the, I forget what it's called, where you you have to level out the water. It's like the da- kind of like a dam where you have to like go to one side and you like pull some lever and it like raises your boat up so that you can be at the level of the next part of the canal. And like all this like 
travel and boat experiences that I was like, wow, that that sounds really interesting. I don't know if I would like it. Jason and I did a cruise together once, which I thought was fun, but it makes me a little nervous (laughs) being out in the ocean like that. And you could certainly get sick from it. But I did once, I think only once, sleep on a on like a little sailboat, not a little one, a nice sailboat with beds and all that. And I remember it being very pleasant. So something else to consider in the mix of all of this is living on a boat. And I know people do that in LA. There was years ago, this woman that I did some work for, I found her on Craigslist and she like lived in a houseboat in the marina out here. And that was her full-time life. I think I even, now that I'm reflecting on all of this, all these memories are coming up. I feel like a guy that I went on a couple dates with lived on a boat, but I never went over there because we didn't make it to the, I did, I wasn't interested. <laughs> but in hindsight, I'm like, gosh, I wish I had just like gone and seen what his boat was like out of curiosity. <laughs> like, what is a bachelor pad on a boat like? <laughs> And Jason, suddenly I imagined you living on the boat with all your animals. Like, it doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. Like, I think that it would be kind of cool. And like, maybe your animals would be into it. Well, I'd have to make sure that Bella was constantly wearing a safety vest because uh, Frenchies are too top-heavy. And FYI, learned this early on, Frenchies need life vests to swim or they will sink like a boulder. So I'd have to have Bella... Cats would be fine. I don't think the cats would jump in the water, but Bella would be a suspect for sure. But yeah, I actually heard about people when I was living in the Bay Area saving a ton of money on rent because San Francisco Bay Area is notorious for being brutally expensive as well with rent and housing prices. So I read about a lot of people doing that in SF as well. I never really strongly considered it. I don't know. Living living on the water 24-7, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I could do it. I never really seriously considered it. I have seriously considered, as we covered in the wonderful episode with Adam Garrett Clark, wanting to explore the idea of a tiny house. But you know, to your point about cost, right? If you want to do it minimalist, right? You don't want to do the two hundred thousand dollar Airstream. As I was saying, the, this automotive website that I love, Jalopnik, J A L O P N I K, we'll link to it in the show notes at wellevator dot com, is where I saw this article about people selling their vans after they tried out van life and they didn't like it anymore. So there's actually a link to vans for sale in this article. If any of you out there want to try van life and want to take advantage of people who've done this and are trying to sell their vehicles, there's one really nice one in New York, Whitney. It looks like it's a Ford Transit Connect, a recent van. Craftsmanship, there's a Coleman grill, 30 can cooler, food prep station, side cubbies, 120,000 miles, one owner, 17,250. I mean, 17K is like the average cost of a new vehicle right now in the US is right around $40,000. So to pick up a van for 17, it's really nice, actually. I mean, the woodwork in this looks amazing. There's a bed in the back. It looks like a full-size bed. I mean, it's very, it's very cool. It's, it's also cool to see creatively how people are executing these things. So here's another one. It's a 2011 Chevy Express van, 153,000 miles, memory foam mattress, backup camera, storage, trailer hitch, 18,500. There's a bunch of them on here. I'm not going to go through and name every single one, but you can see that in terms of affordability, if you don't want to drop six figures and you did want to say, you know what? I don't want to get in this crazy ass real estate market. I'm going to just live out of a van. For less than 20K, there's some pretty rad options out there. 
And it is, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, five animals notwithstanding, to be in a small van with five animals does not sound like a walk in the park. But I had my own version of this, Whitney, the other day. Rivian is an electric truck manufacturer, and they are coming out with the R1T truck that supposedly is coming out this fall. Well, they have built it in such a modular way that they have on top of the truck basically a reinforced all-weather tent right that you can buy it's like a hexagonal tent that allows you to sleep on the top of the truck and if you spec it correctly they actually have a modular kitchen that comes out of the side of the truck full burner tops they give you all of the dishes all of the silverware all of the it's all of the kitchen prep stuff is included all you do is hit a button and the kitchen comes out of the side of the truck when I saw this in action, we'll link to the YouTube video. There's a YouTube video showing this kitchen in action out of the Rivian truck. I was like, wait a sec. I can get an electric truck that gives over 300 miles of range. I could get the optional hexagonal all-weather tent to sleep on the top of it. I could spec it with the onboard modular kitchen that comes out of the truck. Live for what? I mean, 80K maybe? $80,000 in like this brand new electric vehicle with an onboard kitchen. I don't know. Anyway, it's a fantasy I have. I might do it. I don't know because that sounds badass. I don't know how long I would. I mean, again, it's all theoretical. All these things we're talking about, whether it's animal adoption or living out of your truck, you know, and this is all like, there's a part of this that sometimes, you know, we get to the point of privilege and, and class status, Whitney, you know, here in Los Angeles, there are people living out of their vehicles out of necessity, not out of choice, right? There are a ton of people here because of the cost of living, because of COVID that are living out of their vehicles because they have to. So I realize that us having, even having this conversation is coming from a point of, of massive privilege of like, oh yeah, I want to buy an $80,000 electric truck and live out of it because I can, not because I have to. Big difference, right? So I don't want to sound insensitive and I, I want to acknowledge that this part of the conversation is coming from a place of privilege and social status. Because some people, they'd be like, yeah, I need to live that way because I have no other option, which is a very real concern in this country with the rate of homelessness. But all that being said, I think there's dreaming about something, right, Whitney? There's the theory of, this is going to be dope. I'm going to live out of my van. This is going to be dope. I'm going to adopt a new puppy. And then we get into the reality, I think, with so many things in life, even dating someone new. You know, you ever fantasize about like, oh, I want to date this person. And then you finally end up dating them. And you're like, whoa, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Oh, shit. I mean, there's a lot of things in life we get ourselves into that I think the reality doesn't often match dreaming about having the thing. Do you find that too? Because I feel like that's a huge element of this conversation. Hmm. I'm trying to think of an example in my life. Yeah, something you dreamed about. As yeah. I brainstorm on that, though, there was a couple other points. I found an article on USA Today, which was published in February 2021. I'll link to this. And it was just covering different stories of how van life took off. And there were some interesting elements of it, like why people were making this decision. One person said, we were incredibly restless. If every day we wake up in our small apartment and we walk our dog around the block and that's the extent of our life. Why aren't we doing this throughout the country? And that makes so much sense. I can see so many people want to travel. And during COVID, that was one of the reasons that I decided to drive cross country is I really did not feel comfortable flying. I really wanted to see my family. And I also thought it'd be amazing to see more of the country. So 
that's why I did it last year. That's why I plan to do it again this year. And I understand the restlessness. I mean, I've been taking a lot of walks almost every single day lately. And I'm just getting so bored of the area that I'm in, you know, like every day I'm like, oh, I have to go down this street again. Like, I wish I could just be somewhere else with more nature too. And this came up a few times, another article I want to bring up. But yes, in this article in USA Today, Jason, there's a ton of examples of how people can find a van or some sort of vehicle for like $8,000 to $20,000. And then it costs like $8,000 to $10,000 to do upgrades like bathroom equipment and shelving and bedding and gear. It's really not that much money. But again, it's very relative. The article touches upon how some people who are now jobless or their income was reduced, they lost their homes, they have to live in their vehicle because they have no other options. So that's a really important thing to bring up here. And I think that it's a perspective that I'm interested in now of like, having more compassion for people and understanding how there's a lot of there's a lot of judgment around it. I still feel judged every single time I tell people that I'm sleeping in my car while I travel. I sh- okay, every single time might be an exaggeration. Most times somebody will say, "Oh my gosh, like you don't have to sleep in your car." You know? Especially last year I chose to sleep in my car because of COVID. I was visiting family members and for most of them, I would sleep in their driveways and they thought it was so weird. But once I explained to them, A, it's because of COVID and I want to reduce my exposure, but B, my car is actually really comfortable and I've outfitted. And and also it's a Tesla. It's not like some car that, I mean, my Tesla has all these elements built in right? So speaking of privilege, right? Like I can only speak to sleeping in my car in a Tesla aside from like other cars I've had and taken naps in them or something. But like there's a definite level of privilege in which I have traveled around in the car. I realize that. But my point in bringing this up is that people have these misconceptions of sleeping in your car is like so awful. Like, oh my gosh, why would you do that? And like, that's desperate or, you know, where... I think it's important we realize that, A, sleeping in your car may not be so bad. It's a privilege to have a car at all because there are plenty of people who are living on the streets and some of them might not even have the fortune to have a tent. I mean, most of us have seen people living in a box or sleeping under a blanket if they even have one. Like we've, many of us have seen somebody just curled up on a newspaper. Like there are some really extreme examples of houselessness. So having a car at all to sleep in that protects you from the weather and protects you and keeps your things secure and safer than being exposed, I think is important to remember. But even on that note, There's just too many judgments around it at all because each person is making those choices or not making those choices for different reasons. There's another couple that I followed on TikTok. This isn't quite related, but worth bringing up because I've learned from them. They are walking from Mexico to Canada and they're documenting the entire experience. I think their boyfriend and girlfriend 
and they're just walking with a backpack of their things. And they've shared all the different experiences they've had sleeping. And some nights they just sleep out in the elements without a tent. They don't have the room in their bags for a tent. So the most they have is like this cover that like protects them from the rain. But they're like out in the desert sleeping on some mat. And I was like, wow, you can do that? That's safe. Like that's, you know, and they're challenging all my misconceptions about the extremes in which you can survive. And that's a part of this conversation too, is it helps us realize we have misconceptions, but also many of us are so privileged just to have a bed to sleep in. So all of these situations are very diverse and we can't project our beliefs onto somebody else without fully understanding the situation that they're in. I think it's important. This article in USA Today says, for those that can afford it, van life is particularly well-suited for this crisis, meaning COVID, because it's socially distanced, can be done on a budget, and it fosters outdoor activities, which are safer during the outbreak than indoor environments. And that's why a lot of people are making this choice. But there was another article I brought up that is important side to this to consider. This article is on this website, ISPO.com. I don't know anything about this site. Just found this article titled, Find the Balance Van Life, How Not to Turn a Trend into a Nuisance. And this came out just about a month ago in June 2021. In times of canceled air travel and strict hygiene regulations in hotel complexes, being alone in untouched nature is all the more enticing. But the van life trend, which has already caused record years in the RV industry, is leaving devastating traces in many places. Chemical toilets emptied into the great outdoors or piles of garbage left behind on beaches and fields are regularly upsetting residents and communities. Field paths blocked by wild campers make it difficult for farmers to do their work. And it looks like this article is mainly covering European countries. It also touches upon how this shift has caused more traffic There's dangers of campfires or blocked escape routes. Like there's a lot of issues here that I didn't even think about. And it's touching upon what they call wild camping, which to my understanding is there's certain parts of the country, depending on where you live, where you can just park without paying anything. And you're sometimes pulling off the side of the road or going into the woods or whatever. I personally don't feel comfortable doing that. That makes me feel really nervous for my safety. I'm like... If you're just parking some random place, what's stopping some stranger for coming and breaking into your vehicle or, you know, doing something dangerous? I feel more comfortable like at a designated campground, but maybe that's because I tend to travel solo. But even when I was traveling with Leanne last year, like it felt better to be around other people. And again, though, that makes me wonder like how safe. Or unsafe are we really? Because if people are sleeping out in the open and surviving the night, then why couldn't you do that in a car, a locked vehicle in the middle of the woods where there's no one around? To that point, it's like, well, who's going to come over there and find you, you know? 
So I think we talked about this last year when I was gearing up for my cross-country trip by myself, how it's given me a lot to think about in terms of safety and our misconceptions around safety. So it goes both ways. But I do want to come back to all of these downsides environmentally, because um, sadly, a lot of people don't think about these things, nor do they understand the consequences. There's this term called leave no trace. And I didn't realize until the other day that things like spitting out toothpaste onto the ground is technically leaving a trace. And that I did that my entire trip. So now I'm like, I need to go research this. Like, does that count? You're supposed to like take everything that you used and pack it up and dispose of it properly. And I realized last year, I didn't really understand how to properly dispose of things. So I imagine there are a lot of ignorant people who are just like doing whatever the heck they want, thinking like, oh, why does it matter? But they could be breaking some laws or destroying some natural environments. And if all these people are doing this now, I mean, the pollution from vehicles is probably going up. The traffic, like they said, is getting bad. And to that note, Jason, as I plan my next cross-country trip, I've been thinking like, oh my gosh, I bet you there's going to be so much traffic. And it's making me nervous. But... I don't want that to get in my way. I guess I just need to really anticipate it and make choices based around high trafficked areas. I imagine a lot of that, though, is happening because COVID has caused more people to spend time doing road trips and being out in nature. So unfortunately, nature is, I think, like Joshua Tree, by the way, speaking of part, I heard last year in 2020 that there was a lot of damage done in Joshua Tree because so many people were going to visit and they didn't understand the rules. And if you've been to a lot of these parks, there's not that many like park rangers around. There might be some signs, but a lot of these places don't have signs along the whole trail. They're, they're at the beginning and many people don't read the signs. And if there's no one around to like watch you, you can get away with all sorts of shit purposefully or you know, inadvertently, like you could litter, you could, you could spray paint, you could take things that you're not supposed to take. But some people might just innocently be doing things without realizing how much of a ripple effect it has. And I think that's a really important element of all of this, too. I want to put a counterpoint out there, though. Is it ignorance or is it willful rebelliousness and not giving a shit? I really wonder about this because, you know, as an example, you doing the toothpaste thing, you're brushing your teeth, you're spitting it on the ground. I would say that that's ignorance. That's not you going, ha ha, I don't care. I'm going to spit this natural toothpaste on the ground, even though it might infect the nearby waterway. I don't give a shit. I'm no longer eco vegan gal. Fuck it. You know, that's not your MO. But I get disheartened, Whitney, when I hear about people dumping their chemical toilets and leaving trash and, and putting stuff in the waterways as they're doing this camping slash van life thing, because I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but it's hard for me. And it's hard for me because I live in a neighborhood in Los Angeles where I literally will see people roll down their windows in a passing car and throw trash out the window. I want to slash their fucking tires. You know, it drives me nuts. So it's like, oh, is that is that willful ignorance? Do they not know it's, quote, bad to litter or ethically wrong to litter? Or do they just not give a shit? Uh, someone else will clean it up. 
I don't know. I think I'm probably, if you're an adult human being in, in the modern world, you probably have an inclination that leaving your shit and your trash all over the place is not a cool thing to do. I just think a lot of people don't care, Whitney. So it could be ignorance, but it leads me to a sort of an offshoot of this conversation for people who know better, but don't do better. Why don't they? Someone else will handle it. Is it that? Is it the passing of responsibilities? Oh, someone, someone will be here to clean it up. I don't have to. Is it the disconnection from the earth and the point that, you know, we think we're so superior? I mean, I think in some ways that's one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in on the planet right now is we thought we had dominion over the earth and the animals and all things on it. And we've, we've done a great job trashing the place, people. We really have. So when I hear this, it's disheartening, Whitney. It's disheartening because I would, in my heart, like to believe it's ignorance. But observing human behavior, I think it's more people just don't give a shit and they're egotistical for the most part. You know, and the leave no trace thing reminds me of Burning Man, you know, having been to Burning Man personally and having many friends that are burners, people are very, very hardcore about that philosophy there. You know, I mean, if they see, you know, when I was there, not even your trash, but people would see like a random tissue, you know, blowing in the playa or they'd see a piece of plastic and they'd grab it. You know, there's a strong commitment in that community to not only mind your personal space, but look out for the entire community and have that leave no trace philosophy be extended far beyond just your camp, right? I would love to see humanity have more of that approach to our life outside of Burning Man and outside of the playa, you know, and and every single day I go on a walk with Bella, I'm picking up other dogs shit, I'm picking up trash, and I'm throwing it away because it is that mine to do. It's not my dog's shit. It's not my trash, but it drives me insane to walk through my neighborhood and to see it so filthy and to see people not caring. So what does that mean? I've got to do my part. Like I feel compelled to do my part because other people aren't doing theirs, you know? Well, are we at the end of this episode? Maybe we're at the end. It feels like we're at the end to me. So let's wrap it. Let's Ricky, Ricky, Ricky wrap it. We're curious dear listener, dear reader, dear viewer, however you're consuming this episode, how you feel about this trend in animal adoptions. Did you adopt a companion animal during the pandemic? How's that going for you? Is it your first time? Is it adding to your collection of fur babies? We're curious if you have brought a new friend into your life over the last 15 to 16 months of this pandemic. We're also curious if there's any van lifers out there. I don't think we've ever had a email or a direct message from any listeners who are van lifers, but if you are living in a van or you are planning on it, or you're in the middle of that experience, we'd love to hear from you too. So you can respond to us at hello at wellevator.com. That's Whitney and mine's direct email. You can shoot us a DM on Instagram at wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. That's also our website. One more time for any of the articles we mentioned in today's episode, that'll all be at wellevator.com. Whitney's got something to say. I got very curious as we were wrapping up about leave no trace and toothbrushing because I I need to think about this in terms of my next trip. And I found multiple sites referencing something called EcoSpray, which sounds like a product name, but it's actually a technique that minimizes the impact on toothpaste and the environment, which by the way, it seems like it's more of a concern for animals who might come and eat the toothpaste. So I haven't found conclusive tips yet, but A, it seems like if you're using a natural toothpaste, which I do, 
then that's probably creating a minimal impact versus like kind of the standard run of the mill toothpaste out there. But according to Leave No Trace, which I think this might be the official, there's an organization, lnt.org. Let me look this up to make sure. It looks like they recommend that you first, you brush your teeth with as little toothpaste as possible. Then you make sure that you're away from trails, campsites, and water sources and pick a spot where nothing is growing. Because like, if you spit into a bush, it could like the animals could get it in there. But then <laughs> you're going to love this, Jason. I love that on a website called treelinebackpacker.com, he gives a great description and he says, build up a fiery energy from deep within, level up and spew the toothpaste saliva goulash as far and wide as you can. That's right. Let it rip like an angry cobra taking on a herd of honey badgers, eject a wide spray of minty freshness. And so the idea is that you're spraying it out and you're diluting it. You're evenly dispersing the toothpaste to bring the concentration down to a level that will have realistically no effect on the environment at all. Thankfully, many of the ingredients are already found in nature in one form or another. That's why you should avoid a toothpaste with anything additional added to it. But I did not consider this whatsoever. So... There you go. Well, I guess Whitney is going to be practicing her cobra spitting for the next few weeks before her trip. Looking forward to those uh, TikToks of Whitney's cobra toothbrush toothpaste spitting technique as she takes on a gang of wild honey badgers. That was perfect writing, by the way. Perfect description. Well, now we have something new when we're out in the wild to practice. So there it is. I guess that's uh, that's a wrap for this episode. Whitney, thanks for tackling this. We also encourage you, if you have a companion animal, please don't take it back to the shelter. Please adopt it out to someone you know. Be responsible with your guardianship of your companion animal. And yeah, if you have a van for sale, send it my way. That's all for now. We appreciate you getting uncomfortable with us. And we'll be back with another episode with the Queen Cobra soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.